Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. Hey, good evening. Uh, my name is Jared. I'm glad to be with you tonight. Uh, tonight we are talking about a super fun subject, forgiveness. Uh, we're in a, a three-part series on forgiveness. Last week, Logan talked about apologizing, what it means to ask for forgiveness. And tonight we're talking about the act of forgiving. Uh, there's a C.S. Lewis quote where he says that, that forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have something to forgive. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians tonight. If you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians 4, it's going to be up on the screens. Or if you're new here and you, you don't have a Bible and you'd want one, there's one right over there at the Next Steps booth that we would love for you to have. Um, but forgiveness is a great idea until it's something that you are holding waiting to give to someone else. Um, this is a story I've told here before for, for different reasons, but it's one of my favorites, and I'm the one on stage, so you're going to hear it again. Uh, but when I uh, finished community college in St. Louis, I did two years of community college, got my gen eds done. Any OTC Eagle pride in the room? A couple. They're not, they're not loud, but they're proud. Um, they're, they're here. Uh, did my first two years at community college. I had three friends that were graduating from college, and they wanted to do, they were graduating from a four-year degree, so it was different. Uh, but they were like, let's do something fun. Uh, this guy had, had been to Disney World before, and like, he could get a three-night three stay, and he was like, guys, we can do it. We can go. We can do it on the cheap. And I know somebody down there that can get us free tickets, and uh, so we piled in the back of his three-door Saturn, which the back seats are kind of like, your legs have to go like up in the air to get you any amount of space. So we drove from St. Louis to Orlando, uh, which isn't a fun drive. We only ate at Waffle Houses all the way there and back, but uh, it was pretty fun. It was with uh, two guys that I was like kind of good friends with, one guy who ended up being the the best man at my wedding. Uh, So it was a a ton of fun, uh, but we were four grown men uh, at Disney World, and it was just, I'm sure it was a sight to behold. But something funny happened on that trip, uh, where my friend Ben, who's like a little bit bigger than me, a little bit stronger, and uh, this was not our relationship. Like, this is not what normally happened, but Ben would like, we'd get out at a gas station, and he'd like body me up, and I was just like, okay, like, I'm not going to say anything because you're bigger than me, so I'm just going to let it go. And, and I was, it happened once, and then, like, it happened again at, at a Waffle House, and then it happened again. And I was just like, I, okay, I have made up in my mind that that is enough. It's going to be done. One of these times, it's going to end. And one of the nights that we were, uh, I think it was an afternoon that we were stopping off at our hotel room for something, Ben uh, kind of started bodying me up, wrestling me, and I was like, all right, this is it. It's going to be time. And I, start, I hopped on Ben, and I started, I started kind of wailing on him, hitting him. And I was going for body shots, okay? And you're hearing one of these numbers. It was like just hitting him. And then he was keeping me away from him. Like his feet were kind of on my torso. So like at full extension, I'm just hitting into his torso. And then for some reason, Ben like laid down on the bed. That's like how we were. And he just like buckled his legs. So the distance between like my hand and his chest went right to my, my hand to his face. And it went from like this noise to like that noise. And it was one of those where we both, like, I hit him, I knew I hit him, one of the dudes peeked his head out of the bathroom, and he just goes, that landed. And he knew something was going on, and what happened is, I punched my best friend, the man who would become the best man at my wedding, in the eye, in the happiest place on earth. And he just, he just stopped, and he goes, I just need you to not be here for a minute. And I was like, 
I'll go take a walk. I'll be at downtown Disney. If you guys need anything, I'll see you, right? So I'm like checking out, and I'm like, I don't know how mad that dude is. Uh, so I get a text, hey, we're going to meet up at this place. So I get there, and Ben has like the beginnings of a black eye. And I'm, just, I'm like walking next to him, and he's just like not saying anything to me. And I'm like reaching over. I'm like, hey, Ben, I'm... And the other guy's just like, not yet. Not, he's not ready yet. I was like, okay, we'll be good. We'll be good. And uh, we're moving along. And finally, like, we're on one of the buses. And it was like later that afternoon in, in a line for Magic Mountain, it, his eye finally turned like a deep purple in Disney World that he was like, hey, I need you to know, I forgive you. I just needed some space for a minute. And then we were just four guys at Disney World and one had a black eye. And that was the end of the story. Um, but he forgave me. He needed some distance. He needed, the pain was still there. It was a hard thing. It wasn't easy. And I don't want to make light of things that we have to forgive. That was a story that I have that we're good now. He mentioned that at my wedding. But like, what you have to forgive is hard. I don't want to make light of that. And some of you might have some things that are like, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. The things that you have to forgive, the things that kind of ring true in your mind or some words that someone important to you said that you, you know logically like, man, they didn't mean it. They didn't know what I was going through, but it hurt. Or maybe something happened to you that, man, no one should have ever done that. There's a pain. There's an abuse. There's a difficulty there. You trusted someone and they hurt you. Forgiveness is difficult because it's wrapped up in so many things. There's disappointment of lost relationship and the things that you hope to do that now are gone. A divorce, a broken relationship. Sadness. Confusion. How could they have acted that way? How could they have treated me in that way? That was so inhumane. I would have never. There's pain. There's confusion. There's disappointment. There's anger. You're mad about what they did, and rightfully so. You're mourning, you're in grief of the thing that you held on to, that you were so happy about, that now is gone. And to forgive them would not feel good. To forgive them would be a difficult thing, to say the least. Maybe you forgave someone, and the whole old adage of forgive and forget, you're like, I forgave them. Whether you said it to their face or not, I forgave them, and I can't forget. It keeps popping back up. I'll see their social media. I see them at a family get-together. I see someone that reminded me. Someone said their name, and I had this feeling in my chest and sometimes that look, looks like anxiety or panic or anger. 
But those emotions are a red flag that's tied to our hearts and our souls. That there's unforgiveness that still lives there that we weren't able to forget about. Maybe the idea of just saying the words, I forgive you, would feel like a loss. Because what that person did to you made you lose control of a situation. So you feel like if you said, hey, I'm sorry, you would be handing over all the leverage that you have. You feel like if you forgave them, that you would condone what they have done. You feel like if you said, I forgive you, that you would open the door for that to happen again. Forgiveness is hard. It's heavy. Logan and I, weeks and months ago, were like, let's do something on forgiveness. And then I'm like, man, this is in my heart and in my soul. It's unearthing stuff that I'm like, man, that, that emotion is a red it's a red flag down into my heart, down into my soul of the unforgiveness that I might have. And if you bury it and you go, that's not something I ever want to deal with. I'm just never going to deal with them. It's going to pop up in some way. When you get close to someone in the same way that you got close to that person who hurt you, that unforgiveness starts to rise to the center, to the heart. And it's not what it should have been. And it hurts. There's a tension there. See, the whole thing with forgiveness, what Logan talked about last week with apologizing, and it's true of forgiveness as well, is we have to acknowledge the tension in our hearts. If we just choose to move past it, we're missing out on what God has for us with forgiveness. And I think that God has a greater plan for forgiveness for us. I think God has a plan for healing. I think God has a plan for your heart that not that you wouldn't be just forgetting, but you would be flourishing. Why? Because you were able to forgive. So tonight we're going to look at what the Bible says about forgiveness. And we're going to look at really three different passages. And this first one is in Ephesians. And I, the, the question as we look at Ephesians is, is, how has Christ forgiven us? This is what it says in Ephesians 4, verse 31. It's going to be on the screens if you don't have a Bible or your phone with you. It says this. It says, let all bitterness, it sounds like something that goes along with lack of forgiveness, and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, slander, something you can do when you're in the right. They wronged me, so I'm going to say some things about them. Be put away from you, along with all malice, all ill content. And listen to this. Look at verse 32. He says, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. That's a, a present tense. It's an active tense. And listen to the standard. And this is what it's like. If you, if you know when you walked in and you were like, oh, great, we're talking about forgiveness. This is not one that you're like, ah, I know my roommate needs to forgive. I know, man, my mom has got to do some forgiving. Starts with me. It starts with you. 
forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's the standard. That's the tough part. How has Christ forgiven you? In Matthew 18, we're going to look at a verse that comes right before this one, but Peter is asking Jesus, Jesus, how many times do I forgive? And he, he gives him an explanation. We'll talk about that in just a second. But Jesus follows his explanation with this. He says, there was a, a, a servant who owed his master 10,000 talents. And it's the, this, the modern day equivalent of millions and millions of dollars. An amount that no regular person would be able to work their entire lifetime, slaving away, saving every penny, putting it in the bank at the end of his life, taking it back to the person he owed money to, and it still wouldn't be enough. And it said that the master, the person who was owed money to, was calling people in to repay debts, and this guy came before him, and he got down on his knees, and he put his face to the ground, and he said, I I, I can't do it. I'm at your mercy. Because of your goodness, I'm hoping that you will let me just live. And he said, go away. You've been forgiven. And Jesus tells this story because this is how he's forgiven us. See, the weight of our sin, the debt of our sin was more than we could ever repay. It's not a, a, if you can get finally to the 51-49 balance of good versus bad in your life, God will look at you at the pearly gates of heaven and say, you you overdid it, you got 51, you're good. Ah, you're at 48-52, you're out. Because God is perfect, he's clean and he's spotless. Any relationship with dirt with imperfection, disqualified. First time, right away, all the way. But God provided a way out. Like we read in Ephesians 4, forgiving us through Christ that he sent his son who did no wrong and then took that entire debt for me and for you, and he paid it all so that we could have relationship with God again because he became the bridge over all the things that we had done wrong so that we could know him. That's how Christ forgave us. That's what God offers to you today. Maybe you came in here and your heart feels hard. It feels, you've been hurt so many times, the idea of forgiveness is a joke to you at this point. I understand that. God has fully forgiven you. Not part of the way. Not, he'll go 90, and and if you really hold up your end of the deal, he'll give you the last 10, no, 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 100%, all the way. That's what's available to you. And at the end of the story, he said that this man who's been forgiven more than he could ever repay goes out and finds a guy who owes him $20. Pennies. Compared to what he has been forgiven. And he demands his money back. And the guy says, I don't have it. And he grabs him by the throat and he pins him against the wall. 
which is a cool move if you can pull it off. And he pins him against the wall and he says, I demand my money. And he says, I don't have it. So he says, put him in jail until he can get the money back, which is essentially a death sentence because you can't make money in jail. And it says that other servants heard about this story and went to the master, the one who forgave the millions, and he said, this is what the guy that you forgave did. And the master comes back and said, you never got it. You never quite understood what it meant to be forgiven, so now you get put in jail. And it's this story that ends with the guy who'd been forgiven in jail, and it's like, what, what, what does that mean? That means that our vertical relationship with God has to overflow into our relationships with other people. If you're here and you'd call yourself a follower of Christ, if you're here and he's who gets to define you, we don't get to walk around with unforgiveness, unfortunately. But to read through Ephesians, there's a, there's a mandate, there's a requirement. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And we have to take a breath and go, that's a hard standard. Right before that, what we're going to read, it's going to be on the screens, Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Peter comes to him and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So he's looking for a practical number because in Jewish law, there was the number of three. That if someone came to you in the same day and made the same offense against you, you could forgive him the first time. He does the same offense, you forgive him the second time. You are offended a third time, you forgive him the third time. And in Jewish law, the fourth time, you could take your hands back and say, that's enough, that's too much, I don't need to do it anymore. So what does Peter do? Peter says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And he says, as many as seven times. And there's no, there's no question what he was doing. He was saying, what if I double it? That's a lot and add one. That's a lot, Jesus. Like, that's a lot of forgiveness. That's a lot of getting kicked in the shin the same way, the same day, and going, I still forgive you. It's one for every day of the week. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times, seven times. And he's not saying hey, a literal 400 and, what is it, 90 times. So that we keep a little number on our phone and go, I think he's at 364, so one more. And no, 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 no. Jesus blew the number up because he said, your idea of forgiveness is so skewed because we have an earthly understanding of our forgiveness. I understand forgiveness like I've been forgiven from the people around me. But Jesus goes on to explain the story of the servant, and he wants them to know you have been forgiven more than you could ever fathom. So go and forgive. If you've been forgiven something that you could never repay, we would see other offenses with perspective we would see them for what they really are. These are light and momentary afflictions. Our life is but a vapor. 
So we can let our life be defined by the pain that someone else has handed to you, has handed to me. Or we can let our life be defined by our Savior who forgave us more than we could ever imagine and say, that's who gets to define me. That's who gets to decide for me. How did Jesus forgive? How did God forgive? How do we answer the question of Ephesians 4? Forgive as God forgave you. He forgave fully, perfectly, completely. It's an unfathomable thing. So when you look around and you go, man, I've tried every which way to forgive that person. And it just never feels quite full. It never feels perfect. I don't feel like I can, maybe you forgave someone and you go, man, I am doing my best. I'm going to forgive them today. And then they say something that makes it sound like they just didn't quite actually understand how bad they hurt you. And it pulls back up that feeling in your chest. And you realize that that emotion is a red flag into your heart. And you go, something's still there. Why can't I just fully forgive someone? Can't do it. Those triggers are still popping up and you go, do I just minimize those triggers? Do I just stay away from that person? God wants us to forgive how he forgave us. See, when God forgave us, it was a decision. Us following God is a process. It's a decision and a process. When you choose to follow Christ, you decide to follow Christ. Your heart is forever changed. 2 Corinthians says that if if anyone is found in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old has gone away and the new has come. And maybe you're here, and, and maybe it's just me, but you have followed Christ, and then you're like, I still see some of the old in me. I still see some of those old things that hang on, and I don't re- I want to forgive, but I can't. Paul talked about, I want to do the things that are good, but I do the things that are bad, and the bad things that I don't want to do, I end up doing, and you're like, what is all of this? Why is this this way? It's a decision in the moment. And it's a process of Jesus making you more like him every single day. Forgiveness is a decision and a process. See, you'll never, I I, I don't know that we'll ever be able to fully forgive some of those deepest pains that we have. For you to think through some of those deep pains that you have and think through just that full Forgiveness is like, I just, I can't do it. In prep for this, I was reading a book by a lady named Lisa Turkhurst, who leads a ministry and has an incredible story. But she has some of the deepest pain that she writes about. And she said that she was in her therapist's office and they're going through this idea that forgiveness is a decision and a process. And she says, what does that mean for it to be a decision? And he he said, you need to decide to forgive them. And she said, what does that mean? And he said, you need to take, and he got a pile of three by five cards. And he gave her a pen. And he said, write out each individual thing that hurt you about that situation and lay it on the ground. So she's writing out 
those lost dreams, the embarrassment, the frustration, the ruined relationships, the difficulty that she said never saw coming, and she put them down on the ground. And she said, some of these things, I, I'm, not, I'm not even scratching the surface. And he said, are you willing? And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to, to, to start the process. And then he took red felt in squares that was slightly bigger than each of those three by five cards. And he said, each of these red squares is going to symbolize the blood of Christ that's going to make up for everything that you can't do. And she, one by one, read them and put a red felt on top of it and said, I'm deciding to forgive, and anything that I can't deal with right now, the blood of Christ is going to go ahead and cover. But she was committed to that decision. So that when something new pops up into her brain about another level of depth, she would go, I'm going to commit again to forgive. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to commit in my brain for every single one of those offenses to forgive. When it pops in, I'm going to forgive it. Every new pain has to equal a new forgiveness. Commit to it. For her, it said that she marked a moment. In every new pain, she would mark the moment of forgiveness. I think of it this way. Um, this show was popular like years ago. Do you guys remember the show Deadliest Catch? They would, it was these, these deep sea fishermen that would go out into, you know, the, the, the Atlantic or these crazy waters and it was like the deadliest job that you could have for the longest time and, and they would have these, whether they were crab fishermen or, or, or like shrimp or different things, they had these big nets that had these weights on the bottom and these, these ropes on the top and they would, they would skim along the water and then pick up all of the fish and they would pull it in tighten the net and pull it in. But what would always happen is that they would find just random junk along with it. And each time they'd have to get what was good and they'd have to find what was bad and go, oh, we ended up with an old tire. We ended up with some trash. We ended up with some things that don't belong there. And I remember one episode where they were just doing it consistently and they were trying to get as much as they could, as fast as they could. And then they had so much junk and seaweed and stuff that didn't belong in there that their net was no longer affected, but it was slowing down the entire boat because so much was caught in there. You're going to have things that swim into the net of your life that don't belong there. And each time it does, we have to collect those items and say, that's not what belongs there. When a new level of pain steps in because of an old offense, we have to say, I'm choosing to forgive. I'm removing this from my net. I'm going to go ahead and remove this thing. And you move along and something else swims in. And you go, I didn't expect that to happen today, but I'm going to go ahead and forgive it. And you move along a little bit further and you see that person and it all floods back in. I'm going to go ahead and forgive it. I'm going to go ahead and forgive it. One of the things that Lisa Turker said that stuck out, to, stuck out to me so much was that she said she got to a place where there were people that had hurt her that she had to decide that I'm going to forgive them before they ever ask for forgiveness. 
I think that sometimes we end up with a net full of stuff that doesn't belong there because we're going, you hurt me. You harmed me. So until you say sorry, I'm going to hang on to those things. Somebody said that that's like drinking a poison and then expecting someone else to die. We can't wait for people to come in and say, man, I'm so sorry. I've had situations where I learned about something that was going on and I said something that was harmful and hurtful and I had to go back and say, man, two months ago I said something that was so insensitive to you and I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And they went, yeah, I already forgave you. What if our community looked like that? Proverbs 19.11 talks about how a wise man, it's his glory to overlook a small offense. You know what that is? It's something that comes into the net that you go, that's not big enough to let it stop me. Now, if it gets stuck and you see it dragging along, you can go, okay, I need to deal with it. But overlooking a small offense is saying, yeah, that's, it, it's fine. I'm not going to be offended by it. Offense is relative. It's a decision. Look at what Luke 6 says. Luke 6, 27 and 28, it says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Look at this list of things. It's, it's unbelievable to me. Love your enemies. This is Jesus talking. Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. These are, and he goes on to say, man, you, there, there's people that you could look at and go, man, you love the people you love, and that's easy. You love the people who love you back, that's simple. To give to the people who you know are going to pay you back, that's easy. But in verse 38, sorry, verse 35, he says, but love your enemies, do good, and lend, and look at this phrase, and expect nothing in return. You can't always expect that when you forgive someone, it's going to be like the key in the lock and everything's just going to make sense. It may not make sense. You might feel like you need to, because of tonight, the Holy Spirit working in your life, like you need to go forgive someone. We can't forgive someone and go, hey, I'm sorry for my half of the equation. Do you have anything to say to me? I'll be here in case you do. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, hey, I'm sorry. That happened. And I forgive you. No hooks in the water. No barbs in the forgiveness. I forgive you. To love people, to bless them, to pray for them. It's a standard that says, I, I want to do that to you. Look at what the rest of the verse says. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. You know what that means? It means that you will demonstrate the character of God to the people around you. It's a process. It's not going to be easy. One of the verses that's in there says that you should turn the other cheek. And that's not saying that when someone hurts you, you show right back up and you say, hurt me again. No, that was the most offensive thing that you could do in that culture. And it says, you know what? That's not the most important thing to me. It says that when you are 
offended in the deepest way to respond with generosity. That doesn't mean that we have to show up and say, hurt me again. No, there's an appropriate place for boundaries. Forgiveness is mandated, but proximity can be conditional. It doesn't mean you have to fully trust someone again. It doesn't mean you have to show up, be ready to hurt one more time. No. There's a, there's a wisdom to saying, maybe I just don't hang out with that person as much. Maybe I protect my time a little bit better. And what's at stake? It says, expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. My heart can be unkind. My heart can be desperately wicked. God is kind to me. God is good to me. And he doesn't just say, you can be forgiven, but you can stay in the background. He says, you can be a son of the most high, reflecting the character of God to the people around you by the way that you forgive. I'm going to read the story of a, of a lady named Corey Tenboom. You've probably heard her name. Her and her family were people that protected Jews during World War II when Nazis were taking over Germany and taking Jews to concentration camps. And eventually, her father and her, her sister Betsy were taken to a place called Ravensbrück, a concentration camp, because they were found out. And after World War II, she traveled around Europe and really just shared Christ in the hope that she had. And this is what she wrote in a book called I'm Still Learning to Forgive. She said, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray coat. A brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken. Moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door in the rear. It was 1947 and I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed out land and I gave them my favorite mental picture because the sea is never far away from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that that's where their sins were thrown, forgiven. She said, when we confess our sins, God cast them into the deepest ocean gone forever, fully forgiven. Solemn faces stared at, back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their things, and in silence left the room. But that's when I saw him. Working his way towards the others, one moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next I saw the blue uniform that he used to don with a visored cap with its skull and crossbones and it came back to me with one rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking past this man naked. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Her sister would go on to die at Ravensbrook. She said, now this man was in front of me with his hand thrust out. 
She said a, a fine message, or he said a fine message. How good is it to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take the hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among the thousands of women? She said, but I remembered him. And the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. He said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. But would you tell me as well? And again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again to be forgiven, could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing that I ever had to do. I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it only as a commandment of God, but also as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I'd had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality, and those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world easily and build their lives more simply, no matter what their physical scars. And those who nursed bitterness remained invalids. And it was as simple and as horrible as that. And I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I silently prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. God, you supply the feeling. And so woodenly, and mechanically, I thrust my hand into one outstretched to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into my joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my entire being, bring, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all of my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands and the former guard, the former prisoner. Listen to this. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Do you know God's love? A love that can transform someone's heart to see such travesty. And even when you don't feel it, forgive. Do you know that God? He's been kind to the evil doesn't matter what you've brought in here. He loves you. He's good to you. And maybe you're here and you've been walking with Jesus and things have been going well and you started to feel that feeling of I need to do something. Who do you need to forgive? Will you bow your heads? 
Mm-hmm.